My name is Shapiro Wells. For the past four years, I've been trying to figure out how my 22-year-old son, Courtney, wound up with a bullet in his back outside a Chicago police station. There's what you hear on the news that Courtney got shot, then drove himself to the station where officers did everything they could to help him. And then there's the truth. Listen to somebody on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Syria isn't a country whose name is often associated with hope these days. But when I traveled there in July of 2019 to a place in the Northeast called Rojava, I didn't just find fear and violence. I found Hope, a group of brave feminist revolutionaries fighting to establish a more equitable society. You can hear what I learned there on my new podcast series, The Women's War. Listen to The Women's War on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Christian Bush, and welcome to Episode 9 of my podcast, Geeking Out. Every episode, I invite a new person to talk about one thing that they're obsessed with that has nothing to do with their job. The only requirement is that they're totally geeking out on it and they want to talk about it. From at-home perfume kits to custom-made picture socks, from build-your-own-horse-barn blueprints to vintage British driving gloves, from destination birdwatching to Japanese-made cafes, tell me about what you love, why you love it, how you got into it, and what makes it awesome. Each episode is presented in three chapters. In chapter one, my guest and I will have a conversation about their passion. In chapter two, we play a game I call Trajib, where my guest and I turn each other on to something cool we've recently discovered. And in chapter three, I close the show by talking about music that I am currently geeked out on and why. I believe that curiosity is contagious and that life is better with a soundtrack. So let the geeking begin. Chapter 1. Today's guest is Rita Wilson. You might know Rita from her role in Sleepless in Seattle, or on The Good Wife, or because she produced My Big Fat Greek Wedding, but I know her because she is a wonderful singer-songwriter and one of my favorite people to be around. We even co-wrote the song that you are listening to right now, which is called Every Day. This is from her 2016 self-titled album, and you should go and buy it immediately. Seriously, push pause right now and go to iTunes. All right, are you back? (laughs) Okay, enjoy our conversation. First off, introduce yourself. I am Rita Wilson. I am an actor, a producer, and currently, within the last few years, a singer-songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Partly thanks to you. <laughs> uh, and, and where are we right now? We are backstage at the Geffen Playhouse because we just finished doing the show Liner Notes that I um, produce and participate in, and it's songwriters telling the stories behind their hits and singing them. And, and you just played and it. And I just played it. And, and you and just this, sang. We're at the end of a four-day run yes. of this. And this is the first of two weeks. Yes. Right. Um, and the Geffen Theater is uh, in the middle of UCLA. Yeah. It's, um, it's the Geffen Playhouse, which is named after David Geffen, the amazing music producer and now philanthropist. 
and uh, I, I've been I was born and raised in LA so this theater actually is a part of like my childhood I used to come here to see plays really when I was a kid yes but I think it was originally a Masonic Lodge so it's beautiful because it has that courtyard in the front and it has you know a beautiful architectural vibe it doesn't it's like old-fashioned yeah, yeah it looks a little bit like a church on the outside it does it does but I think that was the whole Masonic Lodge thing to it I think I love it. Yes. Um, so uh, here on the podcast, the requirement is uh, I'm interested in hearing about something that you're um, geeking out on that is has nothing to do with your job. Okay. So job is now off the table. Not talking about that. Um, and what I'm interested in is kind of what you're into. And I, I know what you're about to say because you've already told me, but I, I, just, <laughs> I want you to start. Okay. So this happened a few years ago maybe about 10 years ago, because I, as a parent and as a wife and as, you know, uh, a woman, I guess I am the person who does sort of like, puts together the family vacations and uh, sort of keeps everybody busy and gives them things to do during these vacations. And sometimes you have to have things on downtime. So if I was packing up games or I would, the kids would have projects or something. And so we would all be really prepared and we'd get to some place we were going to for vacation. And I would look around and, you know, my husband would be, you know, writing something and my kids would be involved in some sort of project that they had going or putting together some special sort of toy or puzzles or whatever and I would be like I forgot to bring something for myself <laughs> and then I realized I didn't I wasn't a puzzler I didn't know how to do anything crafty I really didn't know what to do and it really stumped me and so I thought well what do I want to do and I realized that I had always loved watercolors and I don't know why I loved watercolors. I just think there's something about the texture and the um, opacity of them and how kind of the water. I just love the water. Except I had never painted watercolors in my life. I had never taken a drawing course. I had never done oils. I knew nothing about art. And so I came back from our vacation that year and I found an art class in watercolors. And so I was like, okay, I am going to learn how to do this. <laughs> and it was crazy because I knew not one thing about it, I, and I don't know how to draw. So <laughs> it started out super basic, you know, like, here are the paints, and, you know, here's the water, and here's how you do a, a thing called a gradation of color. And here's how you mix colors. And we learned about secondary colors and tertiary colors and the color wheel, complementary colors. And all of this was the education, educational background. And that was basically year one. And then we started doing things like painting blocks or square shapes or things that were super simple and super basic. But as I started doing it, I realized, like, wait a minute. If you do something consistently, you will not get worse at it. 
<laughs> and that was encouraging to me because I was looking around at other people. Everybody was a beginner, but some people had insanely good inherent talent. And I was looking around going, well, that's not me. But what happened was I took the class for five years and I actually learned stuff. And a lot of the stuff that I learned was technique. Things like if you want to reserve some white on a, on a piece of paper, that there's this stuff called masking fluid. And the masking fluid is basically like something that you can put on the paper that when you paint over it, it doesn't, it keeps everything underneath that fluid white. And at the end of the painting, you rub that stuff off and then you have these white spots. Oh. So like you could use that for highlighting, right? If you wanted to have a really big highlight. Because the thing with watercolor is you're trying to not waste all of your white that's on your paper. Because once you paint over that white, you can't get it back. I mean, there are even tricks to get the white back, but you don't use white paint necessarily to create white. So, so you um, have to think it backwards. So you have to kind of think backwards, exactly. And um, so then we started uh, branching off from boxes and, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> right. geometric shapes into things like still life. <clears throat> so we would do flowers, we would do vases, we would do... Um, you know, whatever the teacher was setting up, we would learn how to work with shadows. But what happened was, I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. And now I travel with a very specific set of paints. Um, I, for anybody listening out there, I like the Schminky, yes, Schminky, <laughs> 48 palette, uh, 48 palette set which is a super um compact uh, uh palette for with 48 colors in it and i like um arches cold pressed paper 140 pound because i like a rougher texture and i have these incredible brushes that are portable and they're the number i travel with the number two four six and eight and sometimes a 10 just a separate 10 but what I have found is that I can paint on an airplane. Really? I can paint uh, at somebody's house. We can paint on little tables. And I have girlfriends who also paint now. So when we travel together, we call it Sketch Club. And in the afternoon, after we've done a hike or we've done something cool, we come back and we like get out the paints and we do Sketch Club. Now, one of the things I cannot do is... Um, portraits. I'm so bad at portraits. I took a portrait class. I was by far the worst person in the portrait class. <laughs> if you were being generous, you would say like, oh, Rita's portraits look like they want to be Modigliani. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the faces look so strange and they are. That's because I don't have a background in drawing or figurative drawing right. or anything like that. So it's no it's art classes challenging. in high school or anything. No, nothing, nothing, nothing. But I am obsessed. So like what I do now sometimes is I like to paint if you're just sitting outside and doing a landscape or something like that. But what I often do if I know that I'm not going to be able to be in a place for 
you know, three or four consecutive days in a row, I'll photograph something and I'll paint it while I'm at that place. And then I take the photograph with me so I can continue painting it after I'm done. Oh, okay. So you refer back to the I refer back to it. And also I do this thing too, where it's like, if I see something, and this is actually just a good exercise. If I see something, like last summer I was painting this amazing big kind of rock island and I I wanted it was such a beautiful day and there was kind of a weird little mist and the sky was pink and orange and the sea was very calm and I wanted it to kind of reflect the colors of the sky and this rock and I did maybe four or five of those in a row until I got it right because I became obsessed with Nope, that sky's not right. Nope, that sea doesn't look huh. right. And uh, and that's, you just keep doing it and doing it until you kind of get to the point that you feel like, okay, this is kind of what I saw in my head that I wanted it to be. This is awesome. <laughs> Stop so it, it. No, this explains a little bit of your Instagram. <laughs> yes, yes. So I'm I, putting I all know, of that I've, on my I've Instagram. been wondering. Yeah, so that's what it is. I mean, it's like. Is it hard to do? I always think it's hard. I always uh, feel like I'm starting something and I go, Ugh. Uh, I mean, you know, the the hardest part is the the drawing of it, the sketching of it, the proportions, the perspective, um, making sure that, you know, it's balanced in a right way and the fun part for me is the actual painting and like mixing the colors and getting the colors right or the texture right or something, you know, like that. The technique of it. The technique of it, but the sketching can take, that's, that's the bulk of the time, sketching it, I think. And then, and then I always get mad at myself because like, why am I not looser? Why can't I just like do it without like ugh, being so, what's the word? Um, trying too hard like why can't I just be and and sometimes I just do that on purpose I'm like I have five minutes to paint this oh and I give myself a boundary yeah I give myself a boundary I have five minutes to paint this and I just see what what happens with it and then you know and it sometimes like it's your just version junk of, it sounds like your version of golf yes it's kind of like yes you versus you yes it is <laughs> it is do you have anything like that uh what is your version of that I don't I don't know. You know, you know, I love board games. Do you? I do. Which ones? Uh, I'm a big board game fanatic. Like, it just depends on how... Do you like Risk? And oh, well, no, 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 no. Like Monopoly? Whole, I, in our later section, yes. I will start you. Okay. That's what we'll do. I'll trade, okay. When we get to trade you, I'll do that. Okay, good. But So let me ask you a couple of things. All right. So if someone was just trying to start out in this, how do they start? Like... Well, if you had to recommend three things that they do, that just anybody could do if they wanted to do this. All right. Well, the first thing I would say is try to find an art class near you somewhere. And there's usually a lot of art classes. If there isn't an art class near you, I would try to find an art teacher that's near you. And if you can't find an art teacher, there's always YouTube. I can go deep. Bob Ross. Oh yeah, yeah, Bob <laughs> Rice. But Ross, but you can go to YouTube and you can just Google watercolor tutorial, watercolor portrait, and they will do time lapse of like this is how you do it. And so I have gone deep 
at night in the watercolor tutorials, definitely. But I think there's always room and there's always somebody who's doing it near you. So you can always find someone, a good teacher. I mean, there's, there's people are so creative. And actually, uh, without taking the watercolor class, I don't think I would have done songwriting because it mm. was so daunting to me that I knew that if I stuck with it and I stayed with it, that I wouldn't get worse and that I would learn from the people that I was working with. And that's what, what's good about being in a class because if you're in a class, you're, you're seeing the person next to you going, oh my God, that's great. How did you learn how to do that? How did right. you come up with that technique? You know, I want to know how you got that. And somebody's coming up to you saying, well, how did you do that? And so you're constantly observing and um, taking it in, you know, so you're, you're soaking it up as well. If this keeps going, which it sounds like it's going to keep going, <laughs> right? I mean, it, I'm going to keep painting, I, definitely. I mean, right? You're going to keep so painting. It's so soothing. I mean, it's really calming to me. How, if there's a point where you think, I think I'm, I've, I've come over the edge. Like, is there a line that you've already found? Oh, Where yeah. you're like, oh, you know, I blew off. Like, I, I missed picking up the... So and so, like, like, oh, right. Like, is there a line that you've found so far? And if not, is there a line in the future past which you won't go? <laughs> I was on a plane trip. It was in an international flight. And you don't need a lot of room to paint. And you only need a glass of water and, you know, some paper towels. And I went deep. I was so tired. I, I should have been completely sleeping on this flight. But I could not stop painting. And I got to my destination completely exhausted, but I couldn't, I couldn't stop. I really could not stop. I was like, I have to finish this. I have to finish this and I don't want to stop. And I had my music on and I, you know, my little headphones and yeah, that I, I'm sure there would be a, when you're working on something really, um, and you're really liking it, you, you don't want to stop. And it, it, but I've learned, I guess, over the course of just because you're if you're a mom, you have to stop things. <laughs> you know, like, okay, my kids need me. Um, I kind of can pull myself away and then come back. But it's it's really fun. This is awesome. Come on. <laughs> I, I will confess uh, the only award that I ever won in middle school was uh, for watercolor. Come on! In seventh grade, I painted a picture of a, a, a... The only reason I remember this is because my mom saved it. Um, of like a a beach shack yes. with a thatched roof and like a palm tree. And I whatever, I had done the shading on the palm tree, correct? And um, it was a pretty low bar that I had to hit in seventh grade. <laughs> but that was my only experience with it. Do you it. still have it? Did your mom? Uh, she, yeah, she, well, of course. Moms frame things like exactly. that. Exactly. Right? And now you look at it and you're like, oh, no, dude. That's that's like a coloring book. That's not no. even watercolor. But um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated that this is a form of expression for you that seems like you didn't find till now. And then if I hear you right, uh, you feel like, Maybe you won't stop. I don't think I'll stop. My mom was a really creative person. 
And, you know, when we were little, she sewed all of our clothes. She made our bedspreads, our curtains. And, you know, she was Greek. And I, I would go to a store with her and uh, I'd look at something, you know, a piece of clothing or something like that. And she would studiously look at it and she'd kind of examine it. And then she'd look at me and say, I can make that for you. You don't need to buy it. <laughs> and I'm like, as a kid, I just wanted store-bought stuff. You know, like, please take me to JCPenney's and buy me those jeans. Right. And um, she's <laughs> like, I, no, you can't make jeans, Mom. She's like, I could make jeans. <laughs> and we would go down to the um, fabric store and pick out fabric and get a buttermilk or simplicity or Vogue pattern. And she would make me my clothes. I mean, crazy gorgeous things. I mean, I look back on that stuff now and I think she was amazing, but she also could crochet and she could crochet so beautifully. And she has made me the most extraordinary bedspreads. And one day we were in a Ralph Lauren store and you know how Ralph Lauren has a lot of vintage stuff in it. Oh yeah. yeah. And uh, they had a vintage crochet bedspread, probably from the twenties or something, all white. And I was, my mom was over there looking at the crochet bedspread and I was wandering the store and I came back in about 20 minutes and my mom was sitting there and she had her hand under her chin and she was just staring at the bedspread, staring at it. And I said, mom, what are you doing? And she said, I'm counting the stitches because I'm going to do this pattern when I get home. It was the most intricate pattern and she got home and she made she made it. I don't know how she did it. And that is what is on my bed. I mean, it's <laughs> unbelievable. So there, I, I think I always saw my mom being creative and having something to do that was, you know, something she did out of love, really, or her own creative endeavor. But, you know, I, I look around my house and there's so many things that my mom made, so... I don't know. I'm doing that now. I'm just painting a bunch. I'll leave them around, and the kids will like either want them or not want them. You know. Uh, have Have you sold any? No. Have you ever thought about selling no. them? No. No. Would you sell one? I don't know. I guess if somebody wanted one, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe here's I got a suggestion. <laughs> this is a silly one, but it's a pretty good. Actually, it's not a silly suggestion. I, I love rock posters. Yeah. Which are these? There's a whole culture of people who are these designers and printers who print uh, posters just for one show. Oh. They do a design just for one show, oh. and then they make it on a on a, you know, a screen print yeah. or something, and then they make it. Um, that might be kind of cool. You could make a series of, of show posters. Wow. I like that idea. And then, then you don't have to sell them, but you could use them to yeah. advertise your thing. Well, like Joni Mitchell used to paint a lot on her album covers, and oh, yeah. yeah, she used to do a lot of painting. She did. She was really good and, and amazing self portraits and all of that. I did take one painting and I made um, um, cards out of them, like greeting oh, cards. Cool. And then I did this one painting that was. Um, I don't know if you guys know what evil eyes are. They're those like, mm -hmm. little symbols in sort of uh, Mediterranean culture that are supposed to be good luck. And so I did a whole series of evil eyes, 
and I printed fabric out of that and made pajama pants out of it. It was like, <laughs> That's awesome. You are totally your mother's child. And I, I know. And then I was thinking, well, maybe I could do, you know how you do lyric posters when you go out on yeah. tour? And so I thought, well, maybe I could paint my own lyric posters and then handwrite the lyrics on there. Like something like that oh, I think would cool. be fun to do. I love it. All right. Okay. This is fantastic. My name is Shapiro Wells. This is the story of my son, Courtney. You know, my name is Courtney Copeland. 2015 is the biggest year of my life. He was um, a ladies' man, even with his auntie and his grandmother. I'm Chance the Rapper. Courtney Copeland was a good friend of mine. In 2016, he wound up with a bullet in his back outside a Chicago police station. 2510 Robert. This guy flagged down at Grand and Central. A gentleman just said he was shot. And it's the story of my search for the truth. This is Somebody, a co-production of the Invisible Institute, The Intercept, and Topic Studios in association with Tenderfoot TV. Coming March 31st, wherever you get your podcast. This is somebody's child. Somebody deserves to know what happened. I deserve to know what happened to my son. Listen to Somebody on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 2. In every episode of Geekin' Out, I see if I can trade one thing I've discovered recently with one thing that my guest has discovered. Anything is admissible in this friendly exchange I call trade all right, this section of the podcast is called um, Trade You. I, I'm going to trade you some, like one thing I'm kind of into right now okay. in exchange for one thing that you're into right now. It could be anything. It okay. could be like a show you're watching on one of the okay. services. It could be like a record you like, a book. It could be just like, for instance, the other day I suggested like I found this pillow that stays cold. Oh, you know, what's that? You, well, you know, it's not, that's not true. Okay. But you, you have to listen to the podcast. I hear about that. You're, All right. So I'll start. Um, you had mentioned this earlier when our conversation, uh, I am into board games and I, this has happened in the past five years, maybe. Okay. And it started very, um, innocently, I think as like an extension, like a trivial pursuit was kind of too hard. Right. To some degree. Right. And I, I came across this one called, um, Bezer Wizard, which was this kind of Swedish trivia game. It was it was Swedish design, but it's in English. Okay, and uh, and it, it became just a, a a funny thing to pull the cards out and just talk to people in, right. in my house. And my kids were smart enough to try to answer. And eventually, uh, or pretty quickly, I was like, "Well, do they have an extra pack? I know all the answers already." Right. So I got online and I I found the the website I went through was a website called Board Game Geek. Oh. And I, but that was just where it popped up first, yeah. right? I was like, where are the extra Bezer Wizard cards? Right. And uh, it came up that this, and then it said, oh, and this is an award section of our highest award-winning games for each year. And I went back two or three years, and I bought one of the games. And all of these games are things like you, your brain just doesn't quite get until you see them. Okay. They've made uh, apps out of some of these things, like video, like uh, off your phone. Right. Uh, but I would start you on um, a game called Ticket to Ride. Okay. So what it is? Good is title. It, it's a great. It's a great title. Love that song. Um, it's about trains, 
And you you draw destinations that you have. Right. But you don't reveal which des- destinations you have. Okay. Um, and then you have a certain number of trains, and each turn you can play a certain number of trains or, you know, depending right. on what you have. And you have to have the certain cards with the right colors to get the right track okay. allocations. And But nobody knows where the other guy's going. Love this. Right? And th- what it is is it's a culture of... Um, kind of this Eastern European game designer. So they're they're from Poland. They're from uh, uh, like the Netherlands. They're also from like Norwegian, some of them, these game designers are Swedish. And you, they have this unbelievable um, conservancy of rules in order to create a game that never repeats. And they've gotten better and better and better and better at it. Wow. So I'll start you on Ticket to Ride. Okay. And you just you just buy it. Okay. And and, and one night at your house, you pull it out. You can play it between this two people. This sounds like right up my kid's alley. Uh, you can play it between two people or it can get bigger. Okay. You know, it'll expand out to a certain number of people. But um, it, it's kind of like the gateway drug to what <laughs> what the new board game world is. Okay. Yeah, because I still like board games. I don't want to necessarily... I mean, I can only do a couple of online games like um, on my phone, but I, I don't really, you know, I get I get bored with them online. I, I, I'd like yeah. to sit in a room and sit across from somebody and get very competitive. And Oh, you're going to love this. Okay, good. And then when you're done with that, reach out to me. I'll help you on step two. Okay, good. All right, I will. So now I'm supposed to trade you something? Yeah, so now you turn me on to something that you think turn I would you. like. Okay, I would like to trade you... Antarctica. <laughs> the entire continent? Yes. Have you been La- there? Yes. Last year, we went to Antarctica um, with a bunch of friends, and we went on a boat called an icebreaker. And what that is, is a boat that actually can cruise through ice, because when you get way, 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 way down into Antarctica, you are surrounded by ice. And one of the things that we did was we slept in the ice because you can't put an anchor down anywhere. So your boat has to constantly be moving or you have to be, um, what's the word? jammed into the ice so imagine that you have a piece of ice and it's miles and miles and miles and miles long and it looks like snow but it's really ice and maybe it's i don't know a foot thick so maybe a foot or more in underwater and you're on this boat and you're like all right well we're gonna get ready to go to bed now and they take the boat and they just jam it into the ice. They they reverse <laughs> Does it. Go it. Up? Yeah, kind of. And then what happens is the ice around it just sort of hugs the boat and keeps it in place. So one night we were sleeping and at about one or two in the morning, and of course down there it doesn't get dark. So you have maybe two or three hours of nighttime and that's it. It's light the rest of the time. But we're sleeping, and all of a sudden, we hear this horrible, horrific 
crashing noise. And I was like, oh my God, we have hit an iceberg. But no, it was just the boat repositioning itself into the <laughs> ice so that we wouldn't float away. But one of the things that you, I, I thought like going to, into Antarctica, I'm like, you know what? What are we going to do on this boat for two weeks? We're going to go crazy. You know, it's going to be freezing cold. What are we going to do? Honestly, the time went by so quickly, we didn't have enough free time because there was constantly whale watching, going out on dinghies, following whales, kayaking, following whales, hiking and looking at penguin colonies, or just hiking and and looking at icebergs and um, watching icebergs calve, which means the part of the iceberg falls off into the water. We saw one iceberg that's so huge, it's called B-15K, that it is tracked by NASA. It's 17 <laughs> miles long, four miles wide, and four or 500 feet tall. It's like, it's like Manhattan floating around <laughs> down there. So I would say Antarctica, way more interesting than I ever thought it was going to be. And I got to paint down there and we did Sketch Club. Oh my gosh. Yes, we did. And you had to reserve all the white. Yes, exactly. Oh, that was hard to do when you're painting snow. Snow's <laughs> hard to do. That's a lot of white. <laughs> okay. I only have one question about Antarctica. Okay. Did you like panic pack? No. We had a very specific... Um, packing list and I was very proud of my packing because you're basically wearing things like ski clothes all day long and then at night you're in sweats <laughs> it was like super so makes, easy makes yeah sense. okay that would be my only anxiety like, yeah like very easy yeah, I would overpack yeah <laughs> just out of anxiety like no I'm gonna freeze and I die no no yeah. no okay that's awesome Rita thank you for being here thank you Christian I love it love you the podcast loves you love everybody you. listening loves you Goodbye. Chapter 3. Me geeking out on music. The set list. The mixtape. The sequence. Why it matters where your favorite song lives. Between the shrinking aisles that used to carry music in your favorite store to the streaming apps that flood your phone, I can see how some people might think that albums are dead and the music is in trouble. I, however, would like to propose that music is alive and healthy, but that for now, we are in the age of the playlist. If you squint your eyes the right way, a playlist is actually a mixtape. And if you have a mixtape of your favorite band, it's actually what you hope the perfect set list would be if you ever got to see them live. And if you trust your favorite band, really trust them, then the list of their new music is the running order of their current album. In each case, I believe that one song supports the one after it. It could be story or rhythm or key or even shock that connects one song to the next, but there's no class that you can take as an artist to get this right. You kind of have to go the long way. The schooling probably looks like this. You make mixtapes for every girlfriend through middle school or high school, and then one day you join a band, and then you keep changing the set list through hundreds or even thousands of shows, and eventually the PhD level of this skill happens when you make records. 
You pick the best songs you can and you try to put them in the best order. Today, I'm going to tell you what I know about song order from a mixtape to a set list to an album and show you how it applies to the new Sugarland album and the tour we're going on this summer. The mixtape. These I would make in middle school and high school to try to tell girlfriends how I was feeling about them without having to really say how I was feeling out loud. You know, I'd try to pick one funny song, one sexy song, maybe a serious song, but definitely one as a test to see if she even liked good music. And in my mind, it was a way to see if we were compatible. I always seemed to have an in excess song for the sexy or a Yaz song for the cool or maybe even a Charlie Sexton song to see if she liked him or not. But the first song and the last ones were the big ones. I would start a lot of times with this in excess song. I was standing. You were there. And then I would close with this U2 song. And after a couple of days, I would ask her what her favorite song was. Like the answer was going to indicate whether we were compatible or going to make it. (laughs) Mixtapes are the first real exposure to picking songs and putting them in an order that flows. Nowadays, you can do this by yourself on Spotify or Apple Music instead of two cassette tapes. And then you can share them with friends. I mean, I'm not saying, but I'm saying right now, if there's somebody you like, maybe you should make them a playlist. The next level of the music list video game happens when you're in a band and picking the set list. You could come out of the gate with energy or ease the audience into the night. Play your hits early, save them for the end. The choice is yours, how you want the roller coaster to feel to the audience when they ride it. In Sugarland, Jennifer and I like to divide the set into three acts, the first being the welcome, the second being the wandering, and the third being the run to the finish. This summer, we're starting with the same first song that is the first song on our new album. The album and the song are both called Bigger, and the song sounds like this. The fun part is that I stripped out some of the sounds and decided to make it sound even bigger as an intro, like this. And I'm excited just hearing that. I love the top of shows. You know, next we walk you through some of the songs you know by us, Stuck Like Glue, All I Want to Do. I even try to move us from more progressive instruments and sounds into more acoustic and roots instruments within three or four songs. By the time we're in Already Gone, we are the band that you remember. This is exactly when we start messing with you. Act two should contain the tension of any play. It's where things go wrong, where the hero gets lost. And in rock and roll terms, I would say it's where you start asking what happened to your favorite band. (laughs) What are they doing? What is this song? This is where you truly contemplate a bathroom break or another drink. This is where songs like Incredible Machine live. As the middle part of the set starts to heighten, it'll be capped off with a production moment usually, something that transforms us on stage as well as our audience. This year, it's a song called Bird in a Cage. Sounds like this. Bird in a Cage 
quickly after we roll into act three and begin the climb into joy. Waves and waves, song after song, you try to move the energy up until you get to the last song. If we plan an encore, it will usually be two songs long, one for message and then one for a goodbye. A thank you, it feels like, maybe an epilogue. I know it sounds corny that we put this much care into it, but it feels like the responsible thing to do. These fans are the lifeblood of our work. This brings us to album sequence. This is like the graduate level. When you listen to a Sugarland record, you should listen for three things. Now, this is just personal to me. One, how the first three songs feel. Then for the album break, which is where you would turn the vinyl over. So that's the last song on side one and the first song on side two that matters. Then for the last song on the album. These spots are where all of the magic happens to me. I believe that the first three songs have to be unstoppable. And without that buy-in, a new listener is just kind of going to move on. Then the last song on side one says, I dare you to turn it over. (laughs) And on this album, it's a song called Lean It On Back. The first song on side two is Babe, our song that features Taylor Swift. And the album ends with a song called Not The Only, which is coincidentally our first encore. So you see how this works? So now you know. When our album comes out, go listen for the flow of it. See how it makes you feel. And the next time you put on your favorite record or go see your favorite band, notice how much time they took to build the album or the show. And if you get the time, make a mixtape or make a playlist for someone you love. Put it in the right order. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Geeking Out, and we are all hard at work here on the next one. Are you obsessed with something amazing? Want to tell us about it? Write to us at geekingoutwithkb at gmail.com, and you might be a guest on an upcoming episode. Come find out more about me and this podcast at christianbush.com. Christian with a K. Follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Christian Bush on Instagram, Christian Bush on Facebook, and Christian M. Bush on Snapchat. Thanks to Bobby Bones for the opportunity to build this podcast, Brandon Bush for the editing and the soundtrack, Tom Tapley for the audio wizardry, and Whitney Pastrick for being a great producer and making this whole thing possible. This is Christian Bush geeking out. Thank you for listening. Hey, everybody. We know that so many people who listen to our show have been trying to find some ways to fill some unexpected time at home as pretty much the whole country has gone into a more protective mode in the face of the current pandemic. So uh, we wanted to help out and we came up with a list of shows that are a little lighter in tone and maybe a little funny to help kind of lift some spirits and also just provide an escape from the things that are going on. This is something we are calling our Offbeat History Playlist. It is going to drop as 10 episodes into our show's feed. That is going to happen on Thursday, March 19th. They will all be labeled as our Offbeat History Playlist, so you'll know what that is when you see it. So we hope that it helps you get through this crazy time and that you enjoy. Hey, this is Annie. 
And this is Samantha, and we're the hosts of the podcast Stuff Mom Never Told You, or Sminty, as we like to say, a podcast about anything and everything through a feminist lens. And since we know a lot of you are staying in and maybe looking for something to listen to, we've curated some playlists of episodes for you all. Yeah, whether you're interested in delving in the history of pioneering women and female first, or you want to just podcast and chill and listen to episodes about movies and entertainment, or you just want to have a little bit of fun with topics about culture or all of the above, we have a playlist of 10 episodes each just for you. So come give it a listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcast.